The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines. Historic data declines. U.S. retail sales plunge nearly 9%. The deepest drop on record, while industrial production falls the most in 74 years, raising fears of a recession and weighing on stock markets. Quote, this is an emergency like no other. The IMF's managing director tells CBC the economic downturn could get worse if the virus takes a double trip around the world. After the fund warns, growth in Asia will grind to a halt. The UK government today is expected to extend its shutdown and the country's lockdown until early May. This comes after Germany prolongs its own shutdown but announces plans to let small shops reopen next week. What we have achieved is an interim success, no more and no less. And I emphasize that it is a fragile interim success. VW will jumpstart its factories in Germany and Slovakia next week, then reopen plants in Spain, Russia and the United States as the German carmaker looks to ramp up production as lockdown restrictions ease. And Alphabet freezes certain investments, starting with hiring, as CEO Sundar Pichai tells employees the Google parent is not immune to the pandemic crisis. Here we are this morning, starting with data at the wall. Typically, we take a look at markets, but this is what many investors will now be weathering in coming weeks and months. New data has shown record falls in U.S. retail sales and industrial output, revealing the toll of the shutdown on the economy is worse than feared. U.S. retail sales slumped 8.7% in March. That was the worst monthly decline since records began. As Americans forced to stay at home stop spending, auto sales dropped 25%. Clothing sales were down 50%, while, of course, restaurants and bars, which were shut, saw a 27% fall in revenue. When it comes to industrial production, that slumped 5.4% from the previous month as factories were closed to protect workers from coronavirus. That's the worst month since 1946. Five million Americans are expected to have filed for unemployment benefits last week, according to estimates from Dow Jones. New weekly claims topped 6 million for the second straight time last week. If there are more than 5.6 million claims in this reading, the U.S. will have lost as many jobs as created since the financial crisis. The figures will be released before U.S. markets open today. But President Trump says the country has seen the worst of COVID-19. This is he plans to issue guidelines to reopen the economy, continuing to push for some states to reopen by the 1st of May. The data suggests that nationwide we have passed the peak on new cases. Hopefully that will continue and we will continue to make great progress. These encouraging developments have put us in a very strong position to finalize guidelines for states on reopening the country. 
So investors with one eye on reopening of states across the U.S. and across many European countries, looking at some of those early exit plans, keeping that in mind, but uh, some of that optimism matched against the very depressing data that we've got crossing so far this morning. You can see a little bit of green coming onto the boards for U.S. futures. It is in contrast to where we wrapped up shop yesterday. What we had across the major indices were reversal. The Dow down 1.8 plus percent, 2.2 coming off the S&P 500, and even tech stocks not providing any support in session yesterday, a pullback of 1.4%. What we've got, uh, the data today, they'll be closely watched, as we mentioned, around the initial jobless claims. Investors very concerned about the, the rapid surge you've seen there. But uh, in focus yesterday, very much uh, the banks, investors eyeing what was taking place. And we had a couple more on the ticket, likes of Bank of America, Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. You could see the tone was weaker for two of them. Goldman Sachs, they managing to just eke out a slight gain by the finish. When it comes to the loan losses, a Bank of America Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, all looking at the tally down the track. They took a total of 12.8 billion of charges in the first quarter for loan losses, warning that there could be more to come. So the provisioning has been ramped up by the major banks. We saw that from the likes of JP Morgan and Wells Fargo a day earlier. To the Asian markets, uh, this is how they are faring in the early part of this session. We've got the Chinese stock market uh, starting to put in some small gains. What we've had, the warning from the IMF that growth in Asia could grind to zero for the first time in 60 years this year That uh, in that IMF warning that has been issued. So when it comes to what we're witnessing across in the Japanese stock market, 1.3% slide there. A Reuters survey has showed that most firms still feel that stimulus measures that have been announced so far are insufficient. So some question marks are among the C-suite about what type of support that they can tap at this point. But across the board, we are also closely tracking data out of China. And tomorrow we are expecting to see the economy also uh, clock up its first decline on record. In terms of the flight to safety, there's still a bit in the markets and you can see that in treasuries and also in demand for dollar. What we've had uh, as a result, uh, the US Treasury yield 0.64 as we trade around the weekly lows. That uh, in contrast to what we're witnessing elsewhere on the flat line for JGBs, Bunds negative 0.44 and on gilts uh, 0.29 this morning. G20 finance ministers have agreed to halt debt repayments from some of the world's poorest nations during the pandemic crisis. The move will immediately freeze billions of dollars in payments to the wealthy countries who agreed unanimously on the decision. Now, the virtual meeting was run by Saudi Arabia, which holds the G20 presidency. Finance Minister Mohammed Al-Jadan welcomed the move. Actions today resulted in a comprehensive IMF financial support package and implementing urgently the support proposed by the World Bank Group and the multilateral development banks amounting to over US dollar 200 billion. Ministers and governors have also taken exceptional measures to develop bilateral swap lines and repo facilities by central banks. The IMF has warned that growth in Asia will come to a complete standstill this year for the first time in six decades. The fund says the impact of the pandemic will be, quote, severe and unprecedented. The IMF cited the knock-on effects of the slowdown on the global economy and said weakness in China would weigh most heavily on the region. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva has told CNBC that half of the fund's members have asked for bailouts as she labelled the pandemic an emergency like no other. She said the fund still expects the global economy to grow by 5.8% next year unless the virus takes a double trip around the world 
or it takes longer to find a vaccine. She also told our US colleague Sarah Eisen that the fund has been quick to provide emergency funding while asking countries to support their healthcare systems. She added that everything is on the table when it comes to responding to the fallout. We have $1 trillion lending capacity. Uh, just as a, rem- a reminder, prior to the, the uh, global financial crisis, it was uh, four times less. It was $250 billion. Uh, and that quadrupling our capacity really makes a difference today. Uh, we were able to immediately deploy emergency financing, actually double access uh, for our members. Uh, so... 102 countries knocking on the door of the IMF uh, for lifelines can obtain rapidly uh, financing. The IMF's European department head also stressed times would be tough for developed EU markets. This is unprecedented. We're actually deliberately shutting down our economies. Right now, we are shutting down the average European economy is one third of it is shut down. That means for every month that goes on, it will cost 3% of European uh, GDP. So we assume that we can start a gradual normalization by mid-year. And uh, the numbers you referred to are made under that uh, assumption. But if we cannot start a gradual normalization by mid-year, if, for instance, there will be occasionally renewed shutdown, uh, uh, partially or fully like now, uh, until a, 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 a vaccine has been found or an effective treatment, then of course it gets much worse. Jeff continues to join us from home this week and Steve is at Downing Street today. I'm sure you've both been closely scrutinising the data. I think what jumped out to me the most was the extent of the job losses in the States as we get set for another tally on the initial jobless claims. There's a sense if we get a number that is about 5.6 million, we could effectively tally up more losses. That mean that we've lost all of the gains. It's taken almost 10 years to put those gains into the US economy. We've shed them in just one month alone. Just extraordinary that the speed with which this pandemic has hit us. Jeff? Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot to talk about here. And good morning, Karen. Good morning, Steve. I wanted to focus on um, the fact that I think the market is taking some comfort from the medical officials who are now coming out and suggesting that we are seeing peaks or plateaus. And then that leads us on to the next conclusion that we should begin to talk about what the new normal looks like for the world and for the markets here. And I just want to make a couple of points. I thought it was fascinating that uh, we now begin to see CEOs starting to talk about their industry in terms of what comes next. Michael O'Leary over at Ryanair, who I think we know is a, a class act, is now arguing that we will see quite an aggressive price war in the airline sector as we see an attempt to achieve a rapid recovery as the restrictions come off and that ultimately he believes that his business is well placed to do well in any price competition. I think it's interesting that we now have that conversation about transitioning. And I think from some of the other reports we're getting from the banks in the United States and other corporates, some unable to give outlooks, some 
slashing income expectations by a half at this point. And I think that suggests that the new world we will have will be companies that are aggressively reshaping their cost base. And we're back to something that looks like the old 90s style clear out of executives who maybe are too expensive at this stage. I have to say there are some uh, crumbs of comfort for those who think the world will look much like it did previously. And that's the fact we still don't have an Irish government. And apparently we are now talking about another three rounds of Brexit negotiations between the UK and the EU. So that sounds uh, comfortably familiar. But as you point out, Karen, the economic data will continue to be a running sore for the markets and I think will continue to raise issues as to how you price equities in the environment where we begin to lift restrictions. I think I think you, you both make some excellent points, as ever, of course. But I think some of the data, we're just going to have to see what how quick the bounce back is. And as we poured over the IEA data yesterday, which was quite abysmal uh, and will be abysmal throughout the first half of the year, the IEA pinning everything on the second half bounce back. And I think that's pretty much what equity markets and the economists and the politicians will be pointing to. Look, let's go through the demand side of things, because on both sides of the Atlantic, we've had retail sales data in the UK, worse since records began 95, in the US, worse since 1992 as well. And we're get a lot more of this as we get a full month of data because of course March was only half or a quarter month of lockdown as well. Some demand is totally lost as Karen was pointing out yesterday that those flights will never come back again that demand will never come but some is pent up I mean I'm sure our viewers in the UK saw this and globally Next Online went on for about two hours before they had to shut down again yesterday because there was this huge surge of demand and because of uh, working restrictions they could only satiate some of the British shoppers demand there as well and as Jeffrey Dix told you and I Jeffrey just after the turn of the century never underestimate the UK consumer but the problem is the UK consumer if they lose their job if those first load jobs don't come back, and this is for all of those Anglo-Saxon types economy that rely on the consumer, then that demand is gone forever. And that is the problem as well. Uh, Some will have a very slow recovery. I noticed you mentioned Michael O'Leary there, Jeff, as well. But there are potentially going to be restrictions on the amount of people who can go on planes uh, as they try to look at a way to get the airline industry up. And if you've got three seats in a row, uh, I saw a piece that talking about potentially taking out the middle seat on all of these planes. Now, that is a huge ramification in terms of load factor uh, and in terms of revenue that Michael O'Leary and others can generate from their planes as well. One bit of good news I would say is that the government's infrastructure is going to come back with, with, with venom across the world as well. We saw yesterday in the United Kingdom that HS2 uh, tenders went out and said, yep, OK, you can start on this straight away. You can start building this straight away. Now, whether they can or not physically because of the restrictions in place remains to be seen. So infrastructure spending, and we've heard a lot of promises from the president in the US about this as well, will take up uh, a lot of that um, capacity industrially globally as well. So there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of concerns. I would say the biggest concerns is if those job figures that you cited, Karen, if they remain and there's not a quick snapback, then that could be devastating for, of course, demand uh, and then, of course, uh, for the broader economy. I think it is the key because what we are seeing this time around, this crisis is different. No market participant has lived through a crisis this deep. And we're right back to the 1930s and the financial crisis. You decided the story around next. Where as soon as it got back into operation, the demand was there. Very different to the financial crisis when stores opened their doors and nobody effectively came in. So this is different. And there was some suggestion that maybe we'll get those peak levels on the initial jobless claims soon, which means there might have been a rush to try and tap the assistance for some of the corporates, which means they may be well 
well placed when you do see uh, operations as per usual across the economy. But at this point, it is still too early to tell. Uh, I want to move on to the banks because the focus continues for the sector this week. Morgan Stanley is due to unveil its latest results today. The last big U.S. bank to report earnings after its Wall Street peers warned of the economic damage caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The Bank of America saw its quarterly profit halve, missing estimates. This is the second biggest American lender, set aside nearly $5 billion in loan provisions to help shore up its finances during the outbreak. B of A says it expects to see negative U.S. growth well into 2021. Meanwhile, Citigroup also boosted its loan reserves and posted a worse than expected 40 6% decline in net income. The bank warned of too many unknowns about the severity of the pandemic. Finally, Goldman Sachs reported a sharp dip in profits, but performance at the firm's key trading division exceeded expectations. Let's bring in Freddie Late, who is a Chief Investment Officer and founder at Latitude Investment Management. Uh, I want to ask you first up, Freddie, about what we're hearing from earnings season from the banks. Does it give you a sense that we should be even more cautious around the implications of the economic fallout from the pandemic, or are you somewhat relieved by what you're hearing? Um, in a funny way, I'm quite relieved. I mean, it was very clear that they were going to take their very large provisions against their existing loan book. Um, and also they're growing their loans dramatically as people are tapping into their sort of revolving credit facilities and using the debt capital markets to raise new investment grade issues. Um, so the huge, huge miss in earnings and um, earnings expectations for the rest of the year really come through a non-cash item, which is provisions. So provisional losses against future credit losses. And the, the big question for analysts and portfolio managers is now, well, is that a fair guess? Is that a, a very conservative guess? Or will they need to do far more over the coming quarters? You know, in the great financial crisis 20, uh, 10 years ago, what we saw was these write downs came in dribbly stages. They, they came every single quarter or every single month. And it continued for a year and a half afterwards. They didn't manage to clean out the numbers and the books very quickly. But the new rules in America, the CECL uh, in particular, as well as other um, issues that the Fed has managed to resolve on capital requirements, has meant, from my perspective as an, uh, an analyst on these stocks, they are able to do everything they need to now. So I think these are very genuine assumptions of what they think the credit losses will be. And to put them in context, JP Morgan raised its provisions uh, by about $8 billion. Um, but its net income before tax last year was nearly $50 billion. So it's a big hit to quarterly revenues, and it'll be an issue, or quarterly profit. And it would be an issue if it came through uh, over the next couple of quarters. Um, but it is it is not a meaningful issue for the capital levels of these banks. Uh, and I believe that they are sound and very much going to be part of the solution, uh, as opposed to part of the problem this time around. Freddie, uh, you are invested in a number of these big names, which puts some skin in the game. And I want to bring up Goldman Sachs just as a way to look at how you've got so many moving pieces to try and value at this point. I mean, the trading division, the single biggest business for Goldman's, that surged 28% to 5.16 billion. The other side, though, asset management, that fell. You saw a 96 million revenue loss in the quarter compared to a 1.79 billion gain a year earlier. That was where you saw losses on mark to market on the, the debt and equity investments. <clears throat> so you would assume that down the track that we, we see a drop off in some of that trading income because we're settling down a little bit on markets in recent weeks. But then on the asset side, does that start to go up because some of the asset prices may recover? You know, how do you value these moving pieces? 
Yeah, and that's the great thing about Goldman's as a business is that these offsetting businesses do move uh, against each other through time and hopefully generate the decent return on equity um, over a cycle. So their INL, their investment and lending businesses that's sort of buried across the firm, um, has suffered real mark-to-market losses, which is is a, it's not a sort of P&L per se. Again, it's not like um, dropping in revenues, um, but it's a, it's a very meaningful contributor to revenue uh, to profits, which has been positive in other um, quarters in the past few years where trading has actually been suffering. And so it's great to see trading really roaring through this period. Uh, and it's not a surprise to see a loss on that mark to market. Goldman's is out of the major banks, the one who had the largest exposure to these sorts of assets. And I think the, the market's looking through these to a degree. So, you know, you saw Goldman Sachs huge miss on earnings versus uh, expectations from a month ago. But the stock was actually trading up yesterday in a, in a pretty aggressively down market. And I think that's just a sign that's emblematic of what people are having to come to terms with in order to invest at all in this stock market, which is the next three, six, 12 months maybe are going to be very, very difficult economically and from a bottom-up perspective for these businesses. However, if you look through and you believe your business has the capital and liquidity and the strategy to survive and maybe thrive the other side, you can start looking through maybe 18 months ahead. Yes. Uh, Freddie, very good morning to you. Nice to see you, uh, hear you very well as well. Look, um, you didn't have a lot of cash looking at your asset allocation to invest in this market, even if you wanted to. I think uh, your March allocation, 45% uh, uh, equities, and then you had around about 45% in inflation-linked bonds and treasuries as well, short-term treasuries. Are you playing with that? Do you want to put more cash to work or more money to work in the equity market, or is now not the time? No, absolutely. Now is the time. So in, in March, we invested, um, we increased our equity allocation by about 10%, which we funded from some of our short dated um, bills and from our cash. Um, so we took advantage of the prices. In fact, I bought JP Morgan as one of the few stocks that I invested in towards the market bottom in March. Um, but we didn't do what I'd consider a full allocation into the market because the next few months and quarters are going to be very difficult. And even in a pretty bullish case, you get a recovery, which you're seeing now. You get an easing of lockdowns after the peaking in hospitalizations, which is clearly coming now. We all go back to work in some capacity in a month or two months' time. And then we enter an economy which is at best 80 or 90% capacity. And if I told you that you were going to have a three-month lockdown and then at best 90%, that sounds like a terrible year in advance. So I think the the reality will set in that it's going to be very difficult uh, and very disruptive for a society and a corporate sector for the next 18 months. And I think you're going to get many more opportunities to invest in individual stocks um, as well as the market in general. So we've, we've held back some firepower, but we did do a fair few investments uh, in the third week of March. Freddie, I don't understand what gold's doing at the moment as well. Of course, huge rally we've seen in the product, but it normally happens on the days when every risk asset is going up as well. uh, And gold comes off when the rest of the risk assets are going down as well. So what role is gold playing? You had a 5% allocation. Where now, sir? Um, yeah, so we'd sold our gold last year for a similar reason. It was it was rallying with the equity markets as opposed to being a decent diversifier. And I also thought it was a little expensive. Uh, the way that gold's been trading badly this year is in these liquidity squeezes. So people are having to sell what they can as opposed to what they want. Uh, and people are really panicking. And you saw treasury yields, real yields in America and gold prices all blowing out through March and occasionally on days in April. And so we took an opportunity again in mid-March when you had that squeeze to add about five to six percent back to gold. It's now at seven. And I am actually increasing the allocation because, you know, it's at a similar price to where we sold it maybe a year ago. 
However, the monetary and fiscal stimulus, which is so large in this in this response, um, really does make the case for a worsening outlook for all fiat currencies, including the dollar. And I think that's a really key one that I think the dollar can really weaken over the next six to 12 months. And that's all very gold bullish in the medium term. It's not acting in the same way as it might have done in the past as a genuine diversifier for your portfolio. But through time, I believe it will be a differentiated source of returns for a portfolio, which is good enough in the current environment. Freddie, thank you very much for joining us today. And hopefully we'll see you in person soon uh, down the track. Uh, Freddie Late, Chief Investment Officer and Founder at Latitude Investment Management. Uh, Steve, we'll check in with you a little bit later on. Ahead on the show, our colleagues in the States will discuss Morgan Stanley's latest earnings with Chairman and CEO James Gorman. That is at 1540. CET. Ahead on the show, slowly returning to normal, Germany unveils its initial easing measures. But Chancellor Angela Merkel is wary about calling the restrictions a success too soon. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has announced the country will slowly begin coming out of lockdown from next week. The government broadly extended key social distancing measures until the 3rd of May, but has allowed smaller shops to reopen from Monday as long as they maintain strict hygiene and distancing rules. So let's get out to Annette of Amor. Annette, we're all closely watching the experiment with interest to see how it plays out. Just give us a sense of how many Germans also feel about some of those lockdown restrictions easing. Actually, Germans are very cautious and they are saying uh, the majority of Germans are actually very happy with those small steps the government now is enacting because, of course, it is not an easy project to be in lockdown, but uh, the threat to actually um, get the virus is even bigger. And you see, we see it in, in like many other countries that if you are not super vigilant, uh, the threat that also our health system will be overwhelmed is um, somewhat realistic. And that's why Germany Germans are, of course, part of the, the economy is saying this is unfair, for example, to keep restaurants closed until uh, I, nobody knows. Um, they, there's not even a time frame to reopen that part of the social life once again. But overall, the government's action um, are very much appreciated by the public as such. Angela Merkel yesterday in a press conference uh, made pretty clear that this is not the big breakthrough moment. And that also for the next coming weeks and months, uh, the government wants to have visibility how their little steps of easing the lockdown is actually affecting the infection rate. So take a listen of what she said, how she is qualifying that sort of interim success. What we have achieved is an interim success, no more and no less. And I emphasize that it is a fragile interim success. That is what Mr. Wheeler from the Robert Koch Institute told us again today. We have developed the factors that make a statement for this in a good direction, but we don't have much room for maneuver either. We must now continue in a very concentrated manner. 
So essentially, we cannot say that, as I was saying earlier, it's not a breakthrough. They are, these are little steps, and they will become they will come very gradually because the government wants to keep visibility of what it does to infection rate if you loosen the string, so to say, a little bit. So we're going to see that in two weeks um, time frames. Every two weeks, um, the government and Angela Merkel will uh, hold a press conference. They will convene to discuss which measures might come next. So it will be a very gradual approach, approach and home office, for example, will, stay, will, will actually stay in place for many people because uh, major parts of the schooling system will stay closed for the foreseeable future. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.